Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Let's get into the Word this morning. Uh, the pressure is on because it's 11.13 and the, the smells of chili are wafting in. And uh, cornbread and I think there's some mac and cheese. I saw a picture of someone bringing a cake and all kinds of good things. So, I mean, it's going to really, we're going to have to really pray there's a thick anointing to keep anybody's attention this morning. But uh, we're going to, I want to continue on with what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And really what we've been talking about is that pathway to maturity. Uh, You could frame it a number of different ways. We're talking about maturity. We're talking about developing as a Christian. How do we grow up? How do we go into maturity? God, has his, his desire is not that we would simply be converted but that we would be, become disciples. And there's a difference between being a convert and a disciple. There's a difference uh, scripturally in the Greek between being a child of God by grace and being a son of God by cooperation. A child of God shares the nature of the Father, but the Son of God shares His character. The child of God, if you look at his genetic code, you, he, he may not have the behavior, but you gotta, you got to break it down and look at the microscopic genetics and, oh, I guess he is one of his. But when you're a son of God, they can tell just by looking because you act like it. And God wants us to grow up because your destiny, your, your assignment in life, the reason you occupy space on planet Earth in this location and in this generation are directly connected to what he has placed inside of you in seed form. But in order for that seed to come out and grow to fruition into all the purposes that God has for your life, it demands that you cooperate with this process called maturity or discipleship. We need to grow up because there's a whole lot of stuff God has put within you that he wants to get out of you and release on planet earth in this generation. Ephesians chapter 2 says there are works prepared in advance for us to walk in. In other words, there's a job waiting you. It's already there when you arrive. There's a hole that you're to fulfill on planet earth. It's an assignment from God. And God has put giftings, he's he's, he's allowed experiences, He's, he's prepared you in advance for what he wants to do through you. But it demands the grown-up you in order to fulfill it. The immature you can't handle the assignment. But the grown-up you can. And the assignment is in you waiting to get out. Does that make sense? So that's what we're looking at. And uh, so this morning, I want to look at the discipleship process. We've been looking at that from different facets. And I want to hit another, another piece of that. Uh, we're kind of piecemealing this together. But what we've talked about is the goal, the target for the believer is sonship. Or there's many different ways the Bible uh, translates this or, or communicates this, this idea. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says he's bringing, uh, I mean, it's Romans 8, bringing many sons to glory. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 talks th- that same language. It's growing us all up corporately. Uh, uh, Hebrew, um, James chapter 1 talks about bringing us to maturity. Um, 
Hebrews chapter 12 talks about us growing into holiness. All of those are the same, uh, are the same idea with different terms, different ways of saying the same thing. God wants to grow you up and he wants to bring out the potential that he placed in you, out of you. So the target is maturity. The target is sonship. The target is uh, the fullness of God in your life. The process by which he brings us towards that tar- to that target is called discipleship. We, the entrance into the process is salvation. The threshold is repentance. The doorway is salvation. And then the process through which we walk is maturity until we become full grown. And at the end of our days, we want to be able to say with Paul, I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. I don't want to look back on life with regrets. I don't want to look back at missed opportunities. And so in order for us, we got to grow into that. And God is more than willing to pull us along. We talked last week how a lot of believers end up growing up on accident. Any growth that happens is just kind of on accident. They kind of stumble into it rather than being intentional about cooperating with God's process called discipleship. We want to lean in and say, God, what are you wanting to teach me? What are you wanting to do in my life? What are the things that are having, what are the barriers to my my maturity. See, the fact is, First Peter, Peter says this, we are partakers of the divine nature. One, one passage talks about the divine seed being placed within us, and the Greek word there is sperma. The, the seed of God is planted within us, and that seed will grow and take over. It's natural for that seed to grow. It's the life of God. You ever seen a parking lot or a sidewalk. I remember when I was a little kid, one of our sidewalks in our neighborhood, a tree grew in the middle of the sidewalk. And at some point in the, the, the life of that tree, there was a little crack in that sidewalk and the seed got in there. Now, I don't know if the seed was in there before the crack and, it was, and there was a crack and all of a sudden it got out or if there was a crack and the seed fell in, I don't know. But I know this, that seed took over, took advantage of the crack and began to move the concrete and the concrete this had to give way to that seed and that tree grew up right in the middle of that concrete. It's not a very welcoming environment, but it didn't need a lot of encouragement. It just needed a little crack in the door. I'm telling the life of God is the same in you. If you have been born again, that seed has been planted within you. And all it needs is a little crack, and it's going to begin to take over. Now, you can can be like cement and make that thing fight, or you can be intentional about it and say, God, I want to cooperate with you, and I want to remove the barriers to my maturity. So, the threshold is repentance, The door is salvation, the process, the journey is discipleship, and the end result, the the target in this thing is maturity, it's sonship, it's holiness, it's, it's bringing many sons to glory, it's us manifesting the character of our Father. That's what God is after. He desires that. God longs, not just for conference. He didn't say, go into all the world and get people to say the sinner's prayer. Go into all the world and make converts. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. 
teaching them to obey all that I taught you. God, he's, he longs to see the full manifestation. If you look in Ephesians chapter 2 or chapter 4, one of my favorite passages, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, so that as each part does its work, we will grow up into him who is the head, and we move into the fullness of God, the fullness of the measure of God. Previously in that passage, he says that each one of us as individuals have been given a measure of the gift of Christ. Every one of us has a portion, a piece of the divine puzzle. We have, we have a, a, a partial expression of who God really is in each one of us. But it's only when we, we bring it to the body and we each put our pieces together that we see the fullness of God. And that's why we were talking about how you can't grow alone. You can't go it alone because you can't grow you alone. You need people to grow you up. And, and as we grow together, we begin to enter into the fullness of Christ. Man, I'm telling you, sometimes I feel the heart of God on this thing. That God is so hungry to see churches that are full expressions of who he is. He wants to see the fullness of the mature body that we're, we're each part doing its work. It's not the, the old, the, the norm where 15% do 85% of the work and the other 85% do 15% of the work. It's that the 100% do 100% of the work and we're all functioning together. And it's in that that what's in us is being pulled out and expressed and we're manifesting our portion with the greater portion and people get to see a full manifestation of him. I long to see that. And I long to be a part of that. And God longs for it more than we do. So in this process, it demands that this journey we call discipleship is taken together. Because without other people in your life, the dysfunctional beliefs and behaviors that you don't even recognize, those dysfunctional beliefs and behaviors remain unchallenged. They remain validated. You don't know why things aren't working, but they're working because you're believing some wrong things. And because you're believing wrong, you're behaving wrong. And you're wondering why things aren't working. You're wondering why your relationships aren't working. You're wondering why your finances aren't working. You're wondering why these areas of your life, there seems to be resistance and the fruit of God in your life is not being manifest. And what you need are other healthy relationships to become a backdrop off of which you can, you can see your behavior and beliefs in comparison to theirs. I'm telling you, the Bible is not enough. Now don't just take that quote and post it on Twitter and say, Pastor Dave is a heretic. He said the Bible's not enough. What I'm saying is it is not enough for you to grow. Because you won't even see some of the truths because of the lenses you wear when you read it. And you need somebody else's interpretation. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I guess there was something on my lenses. You can clean them and get, get your, your perspective right. 
But there are things you're never going to recognize even in study of the word because you have these deeply held belief systems that you inherited from your parents and the family of origin you grew up in, from the culture you grew up in. And what God wants to do is establish kingdom culture that begins to take hold in our families. So the next generation will be more healthy than the, the previous one. And we go from glory to glory. And this, these dysfunctional patterns that have held onto our families for generations begin to break away. Remember years ago in Teen Challenge, we, we would talk about, we would do this exercise called a genogram. It was an interesting process. What you would do is you would take a big sheet of paper and you'd put a little, uh, little triangle for the men and a circle for the women, I think it was. And, and then you'd say, okay, this is my, the triangle and the, the circle over here are my maternal uh, grandparents and over here are my paternal grandparents and then they produced these many children, these many triangles and circles and one of which was my mama and my daddy and then they, they came together and then they produced these children and you'd just do, you know, you'd map it out the generations from, you know, at least a generation back if not a little further and then you would begin to draw that out and say, okay, now there's, there's, here's this, this uh, pattern of divorce through this whole branch of the family tree. Oh man, there's, there's over here, there's, there was a lot of alcoholism and there was suicide over here. And you begin to map out these, these uh, branches in your family tree and it was stunning how dysfunction seems to grow down a branch. It'll start with one and just multiply underneath them. It's because those things are not so much taught as they are caught. We can inherit the dysfunction or to put it in biblical terms, the sin and the ignorance. Because not all, not all dysfunction is sin. Some is just immaturity. There's immaturity and there's immorality. Some things, they're not sin, they're just stupid. <laughs> and then there's some things that are just sin. And they're really stupid. But we need to be free from both of these. And we don't recognize those. And so God has to come and bring his word and other godly people around us and it brings those things to the surface. But we can inherit this kind of stuff and a lot of times it's not so much the behavior as the attitudes that we pick up. A lot of people say, I'm never going to be like my dad, I'm never going to be like my dad and that, that vow ties them to the behavior and attitudes of their dad and they produce the same behavior. And a lot of times there's, yeah, well, put it this way. We are spirit, soul, and body. I am the product of my mama and my daddy. I look like my mama, but I got a lot of traits of my daddy. When Christopher, who is my little brother, not my son, my little brother, and uh, he'll, he'll, sometimes he'll call me and he'll, I'll say, yes. He'll say, man, you sound like dad. You know, I say, that good or bad, you know, the way you said it. And, uh, but I sound like my dad, and I was telling the, the school yesterday, uh, there, here's, here's a weird genetic thing. When in worship, I'll always do this. I can't help it. My leg does that during worship. It's just something I do, and it's genetic because my dad does it. I watched him do this when I was a little kid. Isn't that weird? There's some little genome on my genetic trail that does that. Isn't that weird? <laughs> right there. That is genetic. And sometimes I'll try to stop because that's like my dad. And then I'll just start doing it again. <laughs> you know, it's genetic. So I have a physical inheritance from my parents. I look like my mama and I shake my leg like my daddy. Okay? 
I have spiritual inheritance because my mom and dad, to, to, to my benefit, were godly people that raised me in the things of God. And even though I wasn't receptive as a teenager, I couldn't get away from it because not only did they raise me right, they prayed me down. And, and so I got saved and they prayed me into the kingdom. And I'm so grateful for my spiritual inheritance. I'm grateful for some of my physical inheritance. Notice I said some. Some of my physical inheritance. I've had glasses since I was fifth grade. I seriously cannot see anybody right now. I'm just, I'm blind as a bat. I'm like my daddy. But here's the thing. I also have a psychological inheritance or an inheritance from the soul. And it is those things that are more caught than taught. Because our soul, our mind, the way we think, our emotions, the way we feel and navigate life and, and the, the environment that we create with those emotions in our home and our will, the decisions we make out of those belief systems we have and sometimes even the decisions we make out of the feelings we have, which is not a good thing, by the way. Don't decide based on your feelings. Decide based on what you, what you know, not what you feel. And when you know, then, you know, then your feelings will follow. That's a whole other message. But... That, that environment that is created, we're raised in that, and often we pick up tools we don't even realize. We're, we're navigating life out of this environment that has been shaped by our parents and their, their inheritance, and so those are the things that need to be confronted. So when we talk about the pathway of discipleship, that discipleship largely takes place in the human soul, Okay? So we talk about saving souls. That's really discipleship. Saving. When, when, you know, we say, let's go do some evangelism. Let's see some souls saved. No, that's really, in the most technical sense of the word, you're seeing spirits saved. But then we sound like a cult. Yeah. Let's go save some spirits. That sounds weird. But really, it's your spirit that is born again. Your, the, the, the life of God comes inside of your spirit that died in Adam and Eve's sin, we were born with a spirit that cannot respond to God. It is dead in its trespasses and sins. But we were born again. So all of a sudden, the life of God is made manifest in our spirit. And we're like, yeah, hallelujah. But it's just a little embryonic form. And we got to grow that thing up. We got to grow our spirit and tame our soul. And so we have our mind, will, and emotions in our soul. Even though I got radically saved in October of 1983, it took several years for me to walk out of the tangled mess I had created through the beliefs I had and the wounds I'd picked up along the way. I was, I was reading the word through my twisted mindset in my fallen soul. I was reading it through the woundedness of my emotions. And so I would read. And I, when I would read about who God is... The passages that talked about him loving me, there was like Teflon on my soul. It would just slide right off. But the ones about judgment, it was like I had Velcro. It would just stick. And I saw God as this angry taskmaster. And so what did I have to do? I did what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. He said, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In order for me to walk this pathway of discipleship, I had to deal with my soul. I had to renew my mind. I had to confront those belief systems. I had to humble myself and say, you know what? I don't know everything. Matter of fact, there's a whole lot of things I think I know that I don't know. And it's the things I 
think I know a lot of that is even messed up. I've got some messed up belief systems. And I began to look for believers that I, what I saw the fruit in their life and I thought, I like the fruit hanging off their tree. I want that kind of stuff hanging off my life. I want to get around them and ask them how they grew that. And I began to search out people that I could tell had a, had a real deep relationship with the Lord. And I would sit for hours with those people in my early 20s and drink coffee and just have them pour into me and teach me. And it was like my heart would just enlarge as they're talking. And a lot of it was over my head. But I would find myself just asking a lot of questions and pursuing those people. I was a pest to, to mature Christians, but I found some that loved that and would pour into me and invest in me and, and, and give me their time and, and just teach me things. One of those, you've heard me talk about my spiritual mom, Pat. To this day, we still keep in contact. That woman spent more money on bad McDonald's coffee and more time with me just pounding in me the truths of Christianity and confronting me and, and uh, just pouring into me to grow me up and get me out of this tangled mess I'd created. I needed somebody else in my life. Every one of us need that. And so this process demands we confront the old belief systems because like we've said, your believing determines your behaving. If your behaving is bad, then your believing is bad. Don't try to deal with it merely at the behaving level. Don't just white knuckle and say, I'm not going to do that anymore because you know what? As soon as you relax, you'll be doing that some more. Now, yeah, quit doing it, but get, get, be intentional about this thing and begin to dig underneath that thing and say, what is the belief system that's producing this kind of behavior? So we need to deal with our believing, and then we also need to deal with our feeling, our, our, our emotions. I want to read a scripture to you. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Some of you, this is a familiar passage. We've talked about it before. Having spent so many years working with Teen Challenge, for those of you that don't know, Teen Challenge is a, it's a Christian, for lack of a better term, a Christian drug rehabilitation. It's really a Christian discipleship program specifically designed for people with life-controlling problems. I'm not talking about people with just, you know, hey, I'm struggling, uh, I'm struggling in a minor way over here. I'm talking about they controlled your life. And so you'd go into Teen Challenge, and they've got a tremendous success rate on dealing with these issues. Uh, the average drug rehabilitation has a 3 to a 7% cure rate. After five years, they would check on the graduates of their programs, and they found that 3 to 7% of all drug addicts that go through these secular programs will be free after five years. Then the government, not, not Teen Challenge, not the church, but the government, the United States government, studied Teen Challenge and tried to find out how many people that go through Teen Challenge will be free from their addiction five years out. We're talking heroin addiction. We're talking alcoholism, cocaine. We're talking about huge addictions. And they found that 86% that finished the program were still free after five years. And you know what the government did? Yeah, hallelujah, give the Lord a hand. Well, wait, here, I'll give you something more to clap about. The government, they were the ones that defined this term because they thought, oh, this is astounding. And they began to dig through the program, saying, what's their methodology? What's the secret? And they begrudgingly had to boil it down to what they called the Jesus factor. The one difference is the Jesus factor. Yeah, 
Jesus can change you. And in all those years of working with drug addicts and alcoholics and people like where I came from, working with these people and helping them walk out of that, that tangled mess they made of their life, I've never found in all the years, I worked there for 14 years, just shy of 14 years, I believe, and I never have found a verse that better sums up the issue of addiction than this verse right here. Now, and let me just caution you, because you might think, well, yeah, but I'm not, I've never been a drug addict, never been an alcoholic, I don't have addictions. Well, let, let's frame it in the scriptural definition. I've never seen a better description of the sin phenomena. Someone asked me one time about pastoring. They said, well, you know, why, why would you think you could pastor? You know, all you've ever done is work with drug addicts. That's what they asked me. And uh, I said, well, I have found that the average church member struggles with many of the same issues as the average drug addict. They have just found a more socially acceptable addictive pattern, addictive manner of dealing with that stuff. They just haven't gone to il the illegal route. They just do it in a legal way. But it doesn't make it any more healthy. Well, it might be a little more healthy. I mean, it's, it's more healthy uh, for you to have some, you know, uh, some problems than others because of the way it affects your loved one. But, man, we want to be free. Amen? So now look, look at what it says here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. This is a wonderful verse. Catch this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who suffers in his body is done with sin. So listen to what he said. He said, okay, Jesus, since Jesus suffered in his body, so Jesus suffered. Then it says, you arm yourself. In other words, what he's about to propose is armor for defense. It's armor that will protect you. Jesus suffered in his body, and if you will arm yourself with the same attitude that Jesus had, then you, what does it say? Because he who suffers in his body is done with sin. Since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourself also with the same attitude because he who suffers in his body is done with sin. What it's saying is Jesus had an attitude towards pain. He was willing to embrace it. He didn't run from it. And if you will have the same attitude he had, it will become an armor of defense that will defend you against falling back into unhealthy patterns that sabotage your life, sabotage your dreams, sabotage the, the lives of your loved ones. And the key is your attitude towards pain. And with that, Peter just defined, in a very concise way, the nature of sin and temptation. What he is insinuating in this passage is that all of sin, at some level, some form and fashion, form or fashion, all sin is flight from pain. Anytime you sin, you're trying to flee from some measure, some model, some, some form of pain in your life. 
Now, it may be trying to get something you don't have, and the pain is that you feel deprived of some, you, you have some need in your life, and you are convinced that this dysfunctional behavior is the answer to assuage that, that, that pain in your heart. Or it might be you got some pain. You got a situation. You're, you're convinced that this unhealthy, dysfunctional behavior is the secret to relieve yourself. If I can get rid of this thing that I do have and not have it anymore, then I will be free. I will be happy. Either way, it's trying to get something you don't have or not, or get rid of something you do have, but it's flight from pain at some level. All of sin is flight from pain. And what Peter is saying, that if you arm yourself with the attitude that Jesus had, then, you will, then he who suffers in his body is done with sin. It's an astounding statement. In the areas of your life that you are willing to face pain and put up with discomfort in your life in a responsible way, that you say, you know what, this isn't what I would have chosen, but this is my reality. And I'm going to deal with it like an adult in a responsible way. It's like the dad who has little babies at home and, and he's got a wife looking to him to provide for that home. And maybe his marriage isn't as, as pleasant as he had desired, but he made a vow years ago that for better or for worse, he was going to gut it out and stick into this thing. And maybe at, at, on his job, his boss is a jerk. You ever had one? I always look to the staff when I say that and make sure they're not raising their hand. Yeah. They're always the first one to go up, yeah, pray for me. Maybe he's got a, a jerk for a boss and, he's, and his pattern is he quits, he quits a job after three weeks every time. I ain't putting up with this. I don't have to put up with this. Yes, you do! Your children need food. Your wife needs security. And perhaps that's why your wife and your relationship isn't real good. Because you keep quitting jobs and she feels insecure. And that unhealthy pattern is rooted in this thing that I don't have to put up with this guy getting in my face. And, and I don't have to put up with this, this kind of... I, I demand a certain level of behavior. And God is trying to get at his ego. And it's causing pain, but rather than deal with the real issue, he runs from it. And he creates this dysfunctional pattern that keeps his family in poverty and his wife in insecurity. And it causes all kinds of other issues. In a myriad of ways, we run from pain and we've got to be willing to face it and deal with it. So the key, the secret to us growing up in the Christian faith is to confront our wrong beliefs and face the pain in our life, that those feelings that we don't like. Now, sometimes our pain is not rooted in the present. Sometimes it's rooted in the past. Sometimes it's rooted in some past issue. Sometimes it was a present issue you weren't willing to deal with and it became rooted and now it's a past issue but its tentacles are still grabbing and, and growing into your future. You've got some wounds from the past that are affecting your presence. And, and if you're not careful, the wounds from the past that are affecting the present are going to create future patterns for the next generation. And so we've got to deal with these things. So we got to face that. And sometimes God will bring up, and, and a lot of times we don't even realize that there are issues from our past that are hindering us in the present and keeping us from our future. 
And we've got to face those things. And we need to ask the Lord to begin to do a work in our heart. To free us from those past wounds. There's a lot of inner healing models in the church today. And we utilize many of them here. But this is what I want to caution you with this morning. Inner healing, void of repentance, creates a victim mentality and justifies you staying stuck in your sin. Let me say that again. Inner healing models that are embraced without repentance, if you have never entered the kingdom with real repentance, the depth of your repentance is what unhinges you from living from a self-center and allows you to swing from a new center, Jesus. But if you are still connected into your self-centeredness because you've never really repented, one of the dangers of modern Christianity is a lack of the preaching of repentance in salvation. That we tell people, hey, it's a free gift. And it is. But it'll cost you everything. And that free gift is embraced through repentance and faith. You turn from the past and you embrace the future. You turn from past works and you surrender to the work of God in your life. And repentance enables you to see your past clearly. And if you haven't really been through a process of repentance, then what happens is you still are not discerning your past like you should. At some level, we still are sympathetic with our wrong behavior. Well, I know that wasn't right, but... There ain't no buts. That but will get in, you, get in the way of you and your destiny. Because that but will keep you connected to that past behavior. You're justifying it. And, in, and at any level, when we justify past sin, we are paving the way for that stuff to come back up in the future. Remember years ago, reading of the history of the, the Azusa Street Revival. Frank Bartleman was a, he was a journalist that lost his little girl. She died, and he was hearing about this move of God over in Wales, and he'd been praying for revival, and then his daughter died, and something just broke in him. And he began to pray this prayer, God, take me home or use me in revival, because I can't live like this. He was so broken hearted. Something in him broke, and he was free from living for the temporary. And he began to live for the eternal. He said, God, I need the break-in of heaven on earth. I need to see heaven come to earth. I need to see the invasion of your presence like they're seeing in Wales. And he began to pray. And they would, they, they, this grace for intercession came over them, and they would pray for literally hours, and then weeks, and months. And it broke loose, and it became what is known as the Azusa Street Revival, out of which came the Assemblies of God, the Open Bible, the Church of God, the Church of God in Christ, and the whole charismatic Pentecostal movement. It's a tremendous move of God. In retrospect, years later, Frank Bartleman would write about that Azusa Street Revival. And he said he realized, this is what he said, he said, I realized that sometimes... We pulled people prematurely from the womb of conviction. And then we had to incubate them from then on. I want you to think about that. That's a profound 
statement. He said we'd pull people prematurely from the womb of conviction and we'd have to incubate them from then on. In other words, they... I heard one doctor say when he, he, was a, he was a baby delivering doctor. I know there's a more formal term, but that's a good description, a baby delivering doctor. And uh, what he, he said, we want him to come out pink and crying. That's good preaching for new birth. When they come out pink and crying, you know something's going on. It's not that the, the tears convert them, but there has to be some level of godly sorrow that works repentance, Paul said. Because if we don't see the past clearly, then we are destined to replicate it from then on. The clearer we see our past behavior for what it was, the more we can separate ourselves from it, recognize it. There's a grief over that behavior. I'll never forget when T.J. Hudspeth came to Jesus. Steve came to the church, showed up one night, well, they came together, and uh, we, we greeted them, and then Steve started showing up for all kinds of services. Every prayer meeting we have, I, I've often joked, if we had a women's knitting prayer meeting, he would have showed up, man. He was hungry because his marriage to TJ had totally disintegrated. She had been walking with the Lord at one time, begging him to go to church. He didn't have time for it. He was, he was being a jerk. And, uh, and, and I had a pretty good assessment, T.G. was a jerk. Yeah, and uh, she agreed. Uh, he, was, he, was a, he was being a jerk, and so she just, she was done. She walked away from the marriage. And then Steve was devastated and got saved in a hotel room. His mom and dad were part of a, a prophetic, he, they were part of the latter rain movement uh, on, on the East Coast. And years later, we found out we knew, we had mutual friends from, a, it's an amazing story, but... Uh, so Steve ends up coming to the Lord, and he's crying out to God for his wife. And she's, I remember, I, I, I talked to Steve, and he said, I've been such a jerk, but I'm willing to change. And we would talk for hours. We'd go out to Village Inn, and, and to be honest, Steve would, he wasn't even making sense. He was so distraught, he would say the same thing over and over for like two hours. And then the next time we'd sit down, and I'd hear it again. But he was just, he was just distraught. He was emotionally a wreck. But he was crying out to God, and he was going after this thing. He had thrown himself on the altar. And uh, so I remember calling TJ and saying, you know, I didn't really know her. Uh, she was scary. I called her. I said, I said uh, TJ, yes. She, I mean, she was abrupt, yes. I said, this is Pastor Jeff, yeah. And I said, uh, you know, I've been meeting with your husband, Steve, yeah. And, and I said, I know he's been a jerk. Yes, he has. And uh, I'm like, I'm like you know, and, and I said, listen. Steve, I, I believe, you know, he's taken responsibility for being who he was. And I believe he really is going to change. Now, I know you're going to need time to be convinced. Yes, I would. I said, are you willing to give him a second chance? And I mean, before I could even get, no. I mean, it was abrupt and no. And finally, I took one more run at it, being the fearless, really fearful. <laughs> I said, uh, I asked her, I said, what if God wanted to save this marriage? And there was silence. And then she said rather abruptly, well, if God himself wanted to do this, I think she said I'd be open to it. She just wasn't convinced he was involved. And I thought, glory, God bless you. you know? <laughs> There's the crack in the concrete. There's a seed in there. And we began to pray and we began to pray. 
And I remember one morning at the altar on a Thursday morning, we all gathered around. We said, we got to pray for TJ. And uh, we're just crying out to God. And this travail came over all of us. It wasn't a big group. We just buckled over. And we were all wailing and just from our guts, just crying. Tears coming down our groan. Just, it was like we didn't have words for it. Just this, this urgency. God, rescue this thing. And within a couple of hours, I believe it was that same day, TJ called Steve and said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm calling the lawyer off. I'm willing to give this a chance. And we knew this is God. She wasn't saved yet. And she started coming. And on Wednesday nights, I was doing a teaching. It was, it was weeks, an anatomy of repentance. I've never taught on that. I mean, the intricacies, what you're going to feel. And I felt that TJ would sit on the front row, and I literally felt like I had a baseball bat, and I was beating her to death every Wednesday. And take this. And this. And she would sit there, and I think she even took some notes. And later on, I found out she'd tell Steve, I have no idea what that guy's talking about. But I mean, I felt like I was beating her. It was brutal. Because I was just like rubbing her face in her sin. And, and then she got saved. I want to tell you, that girl came out pink and crying. She got radically converted. And it wasn't just a shallow conversion. It wasn't, I think I'm going to give Jesus a try. She ran from who she used to be and threw herself at Jesus and allowed God to do a deep work in her. And there was this radical conversion. She didn't need incubation. Amen. You see, incubation, incubation is needed when a child has not spent enough time in the womb, so some of their faculties have not fully developed. And there's two things that are really often the issue. It's the lungs. The lungs are one of the final things to develop. So a lot of times if there's going to be a baby that's going to be a preemie and they can see it, they say, get her bedridden and we're going to start giving her steroid shots so that we can develop the lungs of that little baby so when it comes out it can breathe on its own. The other thing are the eyes. If you ever see a little kid, you ever seen the cutest little kids walk around with those big glasses, you know? They're like three and they have glasses on. They just look like a little businessman or something, you know? Just cute as a button. Usually that's a sign that child is premature because the eyes are one of the last things to develop. And so incubation is really trying to replicate outside the womb what the womb provided to, to, to bring them to the place where they were ready to be born after they're born. I'm convinced that much of the, the believer's struggle in the church today, much of the need for counseling, and even inner healing models, and even deliverance models, and those things are valid and we need them because we need to do whatever we can to get people where they need to go. But I'm going to tell you, if we would, if we would leave people in the, the oven a little longer, then sometimes they would come out and we wouldn't have to put them in an incubator. Allow the Lord to do that work and convict them. And that, what that demands of you and I is that, and I, I was, I, it was everything I could do not to just try to comfort TJ when I was just beat. I felt like this is just cruel. I'm just beating her to death. But I had to be uncomfortable with that discomfort and her discomfort to bring her to the point where she's going to be born again. Repentance is the foundation, according to Hebrews chapter 6. Whoever wrote Hebrews said, let us not lay again the foundations. 
of repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instruction in baptisms, the laying on of hands, and he adds a couple more. But he said, this is the foundation of the Christian life. The foundation is repentance on one hand and faith on the other. And we have a lot of people who believe but have never thoroughly repented. You see, if you haven't gone through real repentance over what you did, then you are in danger to a very large degree at looking at your past through the lens of victimhood rather than the lens of an offender. And when you're a victim, you were acted upon and you're not responsible for how things turned out. It happened to you. But when you're an offender, you look at the past through the lens of what you did. You are responsible and you can change. Repentance carries with it two messages. Bad news and good news. The bad news is you're guilty. The good news is if it's my fault, then I, am in, I have the power to change so that never happens again. If I'm not at fault, then I was acted upon, I'm a, I'm a victim, and I might be a victim again because I'm just someone who is acted upon. Now the fact is every one of us at different times in our life have been both offender and victim. I understand that. But we need to be able to rightly divide those two things and see them clearly. And a lot of times, what started out, we were a victim in a certain area. Some wound happened in our life. But then we began to make our own decisions. We, we built belief systems and made decisions out of those things that happened to us. And it created a very unhealthy lifestyle. And if we don't go back and, and first repent of our response and then deal with the wounds, then we're going to perpetuate that behavior. And just because you're saved doesn't mean it put an end to that. Because your spirit was saved, but your soul is being saved by the renewing of your mind and the healing of your emotions and the strengthening of your will and the alignment of your will with God's will. And so we've got to deal with these things. We've got to be willing to look at the stuff in our life. And some of you, there are situations, circumstances. Some of you, it's things that, was done, that were done to you. Some of, them, some of you are things that you did at some point in your life. And you're still, you, you sit in abject terror thinking, what if somebody finds out? And as long as you still have that fear, that thing still has a hold on you. I'm not saying you need to get up in, in the middle of worship on a Sunday morning with a bullhorn and say, I sinned, and tell us all your dirty laundry. But I am telling you, you should be able to tell somebody. And if you can't tell somebody, if there is nobody, it's because you've believed a lie and you're protecting something and the enemy has a hold on you in that area. The truth will set you free. And sometimes it's the truth coming out of your mouth that will set you free. When we can't talk about those things in our past, again, I'm not talking about, you know, a dysfunctional way. Hi, I'm Dave, and I, you know, I was a drug addict. No, it's a little too much information there. But if I can't admit some of the struggles I had, if I can't admit them with somebody then the enemy has that shame over my life and can keep me stuck in my life. 
And so God wants you to come into the light. What did we read two weeks ago? 1 John chapter 1. If you come into, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, that means being transparent, then you have fellowship. All of a sudden you got some real relationships and not the shallow pretend ones we used to have. And then the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Freedom comes as you're transparent, you have open relationships, and then through that, God can bring you into freedom. It, this is not about forgiveness. The same book that gives us that pattern tells us you're free, or you're forgiven through confession, but you're free through walking in open relationships. And there are a lot of people that are forgiven but they're still in that cycle of up and down behavior and they can't break loose. And it's because they've never come to terms with the things they did or things that were done to them. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.